Well, we're starting a new series today, and over the next couple of weeks, um, we're going we're gonna to talk about Jesus the story. I was uh, praying about, you know, what, what, do we, what do we pray about over the summer? And I thought, you know, gosh, Jesus, how can you lose with that? And so, uh, but this is over the next couple of weeks, I really want to dive a little bit deeper um, and try to answer some of the questions or let us get to some of the hearts of the matter about uh, who Jesus is. Now, let me just preface this by saying, because we only have a a couple of minutes every week to do this, this is not going to answer all the questions about Jesus. I want to encourage you. Um, to go back into the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I'm going to encourage you to read the life of Jesus. Uh, pick one of the Gospels that you like. If you don't want to read all of them, then pick one and, and really um, come to understand. Because the more we, we understand who Jesus is, the more that we are aware of God's presence in our lives, the closer that we get. Um, I, I know when I ask the question, who is Jesus, uh, probably all of us have some kind of thought as to who, who Jesus is. And, and it's interesting that, that maybe some of the thoughts that we have about who Jesus is may not be what Jesus is all about, but it's kind of what we have been taught through the years. Uh, some of us are auditory learners. We, we learn by hearing. Others of us learn by sight. And I'm, I'm kind of one of those persons that, that I kind of tune out when someone's I shouldn't say that. I'm a pastor. When somebody's talking to me, I tune you out. I don't mean that. What I mean is if I'm sitting in a classroom, there you go. If I'm sitting in a classroom and, and, and it, you know, but I'm, I'm more of a hands-on think, thinking through kind of and visual person. And, and, um, and I've learned that uh, when we learn, when we can see things, sometimes if we can see it, then we're going to believe it more. Um, our grandson Trey was visiting with us, and uh, Patty had brought out a, an afghan that her mother had made, and she showed it to Trey, and she said, Trey, look, Gigi made this. Now listen to what he said. He looked at it, and he says, okay, but did you see her make it? You know, so sometimes it's kind of like we've got a little bit of a Thomas in us that, you know, we're, we're only going to believe the things that, we, we, that which we see. But if you're asked a question, who is Jesus, um, how would you respond? How would you respond that to the question, who is Jesus and, and where did he come from? And, and is he really coming back and, and do you know when? I mean, these are some of the, the questions around who Jesus is, and I'm hoping that we can uh, try and, and uh, lean into that. So no credible historian throughout all of history, no credible historian would deny that Jesus was real. Every credible historian knows it. In fact, we know that Roman historians who didn't believe in Jesus wrote about Jesus. We know that Jewish historians like Josephus and other great ones, Eusebius and others, that, that, that as they wrote about Jesus, we know that they know that Jesus was true and he's real. But, but who is he really? I mean, is he, is he just a good guy? Is he a prophet? Um, some would say Jesus is a social activist, like a zealot as he was, you know, changing the world and turning it upside down. You know, did he invent the internet? I mean, did Jesus invent the internet? And, and so, you know, we, we have all these questions, but, but maybe you're here today and you're, you're wondering, you know, who is Jesus and why is it so important that I know him? Well, the Apostle John um, gives us a little bit of insight, probably not just a little bit, a lot of insight. I want to go to John chapter 1. So if you have your phones, your, your, some of you have tablets, if you have your Bibles, you can watch it on the screen. We have all sorts of different ways in which you can engage in the Scriptures um, every week here at St. Paul. But John, um, the Apostle, attempts to answer some important aspects of who Jesus is. And I'm going to read from John chapter 1. And I'm going to read from the message uh, translation. It says this, in the beginning was the Word, 
Um, oh, excuse me. Uh, the word was first, the word present to God, God present to the word. Uh, the word of, was God in readiness for God from day one. Now that's important for us to know. We're gonna find out who the word is, but do you see where John says that the word was present with God from day one? Everything was created through him. Nothing, not one thing came into being without him. So the word, nothing came into being, nothing was created without the word being involved with that. What came into existence was life, and the life was light to live by. The life light blazed out into the darkness, and the darkness could not put it away. Let's drop down to chapter nine, uh, verse nine, I should say, verse nine. The life light was the real thing. Every person entering life, he brings into light. He was in the world, and the world was there through him, and yet the world didn't even notice. So here, we see that this, this light, this, this word, this being, this person, God was in the world, and the world was not even aware um, that God was there. He came to his own people, but they didn't want him. But, but whoever did want him, whoever believed he was who he claimed and would do what he said, he made them to be their true selves, their child of God's selves. So did you catch that? He made them be their true selves. We were created in the image of God. We were created in the image of God. God created us to be in community with God. God created us to be in community with each other. So in Jesus, in this word, we see the totality of that. These are the God begotten, not blood begotten, not flesh begotten, not sex begotten, but the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I love the way Eugene Peterson um, writes us out, that the word Jesus became flesh, or God became flesh in Jesus, and moved into our neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one of a kind glory like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start uh, to finish. John pointed him out and called that this is the one. Now John was the, the baptizer. John was the one who came before Jesus. John was Jesus's cousin and he was older. Uh, so, but John is saying, wait, you know, uh, this is the one when he sees Jesus, the one I told you who was coming after me, but in fact was ahead of me. In the old days, the, the, the older one in the family had seniority. So even though Jesus was younger than John, John is saying, wait a minute, he has authority over me because of even greater reasons. He's always been ahead of me. He's always had the first word. And we all live off of his generous bounty, gift after gift after gift. We got the basics from Moses, and then his exuberant giving and receiving, this endless knowing and understanding. All this came through who? Jesus the what? The Messiah. No one has ever seen God, not so much a glimpse, this one-of-a-kind God expression who exists at the very heart of the Father has made him plain as day. So John is saying that Jesus is extremely important for us to know who God is, that Jesus is God, and he's God in the flesh. 
So, so a lot of us, so we have a hard time understanding this and, and we can't really um, put our hands around it. We can't really um, have this perspective. Some of us, maybe you're like me, there are times in my life still where I, where I wrestle the question, how, how can I get my hands around God? Not to, not to contain God, but, but just of an understanding. How do I understand? Um, how do we understand who and what all of, that God is? And how do, we, how do we get our hands around that? And if you've ever asked that question, then, then you're like me. I ask that question all the time. How do I understand, how do I fathom the greatness of who God is? And, and why is it so hard for us to, to understand God? Why is it so hard for us to grasp God? Because we, we like things that are kind of wrapped up nicely. We like to be able to, to touch things. We're tactile in a sense that, that we, uh, we like tangible things and, and, and we like people and places and, and things that we can touch and that we can see and that we can smell. We like to use our senses. And it's hard for us to wrap our hands around something that's spiritual. We can't see it. We can't feel it and in in, in touching it, uh, you know, and it's hard for us to do that. So, so think about how hard it was for those who lived in the days before Jesus. As we read in the Old Testament, the days of, 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 of Noah, the days of Abraham, as we read in these days before Jesus, can you imagine what it was like for them? We have the, the end of the story. They didn't. And how hard it was for them to connect with God, to see God, to know that God was there. They learned that God was like a voice that came out of the heavens, didn't they? They, uh, they, they, they saw God as fire by night leading them on this pilgrimage of the Exodus and smoke by day. That's how they saw God. Moses stood before in a burning bush, a theophany, meaning a presence of God. As Moses stood there with this bush on fire, but it was not being consumed. Moses, that was the way that he was able to see God. And it's no wonder that, that because we're seeking and searching for a way to tangibly put our hands on God, it's no wonder throughout all of time that humanity has chosen to go and fabricate false gods. We make them out of wood, we make them out of paper, we make them out of, of precious metals. We have idols in our lives because we can tangibly see them. We can hold them, we can, we can touch them, and we can smell them and, and, and even taste them in some cases but we have a really hard time having a relationship with the Spirit. We can't see it, but God made it possible when he came in the flesh of Jesus Christ. God came into the flesh of Jesus. So here, here's something I want to lift up this morning. Jesus is God the Son revealing God the Father through God the Holy Spirit. God works through himself and reveals himself in multiple ways. We call this the Holy Trinity. Now, if someone's ever told you that they can explain and they fully understand the Trinity, I want you to look at them and I want you to shake your finger and say, pants on fire. <laughs> Nobody understands the Trinity. Nobody. Not even the greatest minds of Christian history because it's something that we just don't understand. It's a creation of God that is there. It is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three working as one, not three separate individuals on three different agendas. It is God revealed in three different ways. For me, it's, it's proof that, that Christianity has to be real. 
and that Christianity is not man-made because guys, we don't, it's on Father's Day, so we can be honest today because nobody can get mad at us, right? So we don't like to be wrong, do we? And we don't, we don't like to be made, you know, shown that we're not understanding something. So why in the world would mankind create something like the doctrine of the Holy Trinity that's unexplainable? We wouldn't do that. And so that's what tells us that, that there's something that's divine that comes from God out of this. You know, it's been said that if you try to explain the Trinity, you'll lose your mind, but if you deny it, you'll lose your soul. And we find out the importance of, of what it means. We see all these things working together, and Jesus proclaims these words in John's gospel. He says, the counselor of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I said to you. So Jesus comes in flesh, Father as creator, Holy Spirit as perpetual presence of God with us in all things. Jesus shows us that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all work together, and God reveals himself in us. And this is the mystery of our faith. The Holy Spirit reminds us of what Jesus said to do. Jesus answered a, a question, and, and he said, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life, that, that no one comes to the Father except through me. And that if you really knew me, if you really knew me, he said, as he's looking at the disciples, you would know my Father as well. Now, what's he, what's he alluding to? He's alluding to that if you're looking at Jesus, you're looking at the Father. If you're looking at Jesus, you're, you're in the presence of the Holy Spirit. You're in presence, all of this is of God. You know him and you've seen him. But Philip, one of the disciples said, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus looks at Philip and he says, Philip, don't you know me? Even after all that we've been, all this time that I've been among, among you. I've been with you all this time, a long time, and you still don't know. He says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Philip, show us the Father when I've been with you all of this time? You know, there, there are two huge truths. Say the word huge. Huge. Now say it like the guy on the radio. Huge. Okay. So there's two huge truths. Huge ideas that I want us to really look at this morning as we talk about who is Jesus. Jesus, and we need to understand, Jesus is fully God, and Jesus is fully what? Human. So he's fully God, and he's fully human. So let's look at this huge idea first, that, that Jesus is fully God. This means that, that Jesus isn't just a good guy, that, that, that he's not just a good guy who came from God. He's, he's not just a prophet, but he's called Emmanuel. And Emmanuel is translated into God with us. And we know that, that, that it's been made very clear with us that, that, that who he is, who is Jesus? Jesus is God with us. So, so because he's God, uh, we've got to get our heads wrapped around this fact that, that he didn't just come into the world, Jesus didn't just exist from the nativity scene. He's been with us all the time. And that's what John's saying to us. The word was in the beginning. And the word ultimately was made flesh and the word came into. So, so it doesn't just happen at the nativity scene, but God has been with us in all of this all the time. Jesus is called word, and in Greek that is logos. 
And logos, we see, is, is, is fitting because it says that the word, um, the word is fitting for a king because if the king gives the king's word on anything, what does that mean? If a king says, come to me as the royal ruler, what does the subject do? They come. If the king says, like, I'm watching a little bit of the Tudors, don't judge me, uh, but, but uh, Henry VIII, you know, if, if the king says, off with her head, what happens? She's killed. If the king says, we're going to war, what, what goes on then? Then you're going to war. Why? Because the king says it. It's the king's word. His word is his law. And Jesus is, is God's will in reality. And that's what John is trying to say to us is that Jesus is the word. He's the word of God. He's with God in the beginning. So before he appeared in the nativity, Jesus uh, made some grand appearances in the Old Testament. And uh, when he made those um, appearances, it's what's called a Christophany. It means it's where Christ has made himself or manifests himself in some way in the God story before what we know happened that first Christmas. In Genesis 18, he talks with Abraham, and they have a meal together. Genesis 16, he comes to Hagar, and he talks with her, and she says, did I just see the God who sees me? In Genesis 20 or 32, he's wrestling with Jacob. He comes in the, the form of an angel. He's wrestling with Jacob, and Jacob is saying, I won't let you go. And, and he said, let me go. I won't let you go until what you bless me. And in Daniel 3, we have the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And if you or your grandkids watch Veggie Tales, it's Rack, Shack, and Benny. And, um, and so what happens is they're, they're under the authority on earth of King Nebuchadnezzar, but they rebuke that because Nebuchadnezzar is saying that they need to do false worship. And they're like, no, 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 no. We only worship one God. And so what does he do? He throws them into a fiery furnace. And the, the scripture tells us that as uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in the fiery furnace, that at some point in time, what happens? A fourth person appears. And many scholars interpret that to be Jesus there in the furnace with them. Who is Jesus? He's the topic of many who seek him as truth, as well as those whose mission is to dissuade us from following him. It's sad that we even have to talk about that, but there are people in our world who, who don't want us to follow Jesus. There are people in our world that for whatever reason, the wrong misguided reason, that they, that they try to dissuade us from being disciples to be followers of Jesus. And there's some mistruths that, that I want us to, to share this morning because, because if you're struggling with any of these mistruths, I want you to have the answers to these. The first mistruth that they say is that Jesus never claimed to be God. And that's one of the major arguments that those who are trying to pull people away from following Jesus that they'll say. They'll say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God, but we know he did. In fact, he admitted he was God. And in Mark's gospel, Jesus is, is preaching and is building a, a house or whatever we want to call it. And, and the crowds are, are kind of caving in and, and people are getting sweaty and it's getting hot. And, but Jesus is going on and on and on. And he's sharing and he's teaching and they're just in awe. And these four men have a, have a friend who is a crippled paralytic and, and they carry him from his home miles to where Jesus is. And they can't get into the building and they just know if they can see Jesus that their friend will be healed. <coughs> but they can't get in. 
So they climb up to the roof, and one of them probably was an engineer, and the other was a would-be architect, and said, well, if we just kind of tear a hole in the roof, can you imagine what the homeowner thought about that? Wrong coverage, but it was an act of God. But, um, so so they're, they're, they're tearing a hole in the roof, and they lower their friend down. And what happens? Jesus heals him, but, the, but this huge response happened. It says here in, in Mark's gospel, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. And now some teachers of the law were sitting there, Mark records, thinking to themselves, why does this guy talk like that? He's blaspheming. He is, he is saying that he's God. He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? These religious scholars were debating. And Jesus responds, but that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. That's why I'm doing this. And they say to him, well, wait a minute. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus looks at them and says, like I said, I forgive sins. Here's the second mistruth those who are trying to dissuade others from the faith. They'll say that, that no one believed that Jesus was God until many years later when the legend developed over time. They'll say, well, wait a minute. You know, nobody believed this stuff. It just kind of was made up. And, and if it was really true, then that people would have been talking about it a lot sooner and, and things they would have seen that. And, and we've seen all these things. Jesus was recognized as God by his followers while he was still here on earth. That's in the scriptures. All of his disciples, they all grew up as good Jewish boys. And, and they went to temple and they knew all the things. And they especially knew as devout Jewish boys, they knew what Exodus 34, 14 says. Do not worship any other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. A commandment. And they, they knew these things. But in Matthew 14, we find proof that Jesus' disciples recognize him as God. They're out in a boat, and it's kind of foggy, misty. Uh, their, their sight's not really good, and, and who knows what the weather's gonna be like for the rest of the night. And all of a sudden, they spot something. They're walking on the water. And Peter is looking out, and he discovers that it's Jesus. And, and all of a sudden, Peter wants to go to Jesus, and, and Jesus is saying, come on, come to me, Peter. And, and then all of a sudden, we, we see a couple of things happen, and then the waves start picking up, and, and, and the boat begins to slosh back and forth, and the winds come, and, and Peter becomes fearful. And he says, Lord, save me. And Jesus grabs him, and they pull Peter back into the boat, and then the the, way, the waves and the winds, they die down, we're told in, in Matthew's gospel. But then something important is what happens. Those who were in the boat worship Jesus saying, truly you are the son of God. Truly you are God. Truly. Folks, it's not a, it's not a, a legend it's not something that was created years after the fact. In fact, we know, and if you were here on Easter Sunday, I shared with you that, that after his death and resurrection, Jesus appeared to over 500 eyewitnesses, men and women who, who were willing to die for what they believed. And, and all the apostles, all but John, the, the one who was on Patmos, John the beloved, all the rest of the disciples died 
because of their faith. They died saying Jesus was real. He was God. And how many times have we, have we discussed this, that, that who's willing to die for a, a, a lie, but we're willing to die for the truth? And so the disciples see this. He walks into one of these rooms and he comes right through a wall. Door's locked, there's Jesus. How'd you get in here? And he says, look at my hands. Do you see the scars? And Thomas, who was the one who wasn't there originally to see all that was there, Thomas says these words, my Lord and my God. Here's a third mistruth. Jesus isn't equal to God, but he's a subordinate being. It's like Jesus wasn't good enough to make the varsity squad, so he got cut, and he's on JV. I mean, that's, that's kind of what this says, is that it's likely that, that you know, he can't be Batman, but, but he could be Robin. Now, he can't be the main act, but the father recognized the son as God. In the letter to the Hebrews, the writer points out that God the Father told the angels to worship God the Son. Here's what it says. And again, when God brings this firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels, what? Worship him. This is important to remember because God the Father said, do not worship anything or anyone else because I am a jealous God. But here the Father instructs the angels to worship Jesus the Son. God acknowledges that Jesus is God in human flesh. The writer of Hebrews continues, but about the Son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you and your companions by anointing you with oil of joy. In order to answer the question, who is Jesus, we have got to conclude that Jesus is God. We can't leave here today thinking anything differently. He truly is God. There's a lot of world religions that will teach that if you follow this and do this and do that and go these places and go around and so on and so forth and accomplish, you can get closer to God. All world religions were founded by a human being who died and was never seen again. You could go to their tombs today and dig up their bones. We are part of a faith of a living God, a living God who is in us in all things. Here's the second huge idea. Say the word huge again. Huge. Come on, it's not like the guy on the radio. Come on. Huge. Okay, all right. In addition to being fully divine, here's the big idea that Jesus was fully man. We've got to get this. We can't just see Jesus as God, but we've got to see this second component, this incarnation, this, this God in flesh here on earth. And in Genesis 3, God promises a Messiah and, and says a Messiah will come from the seed of man. And, and Luke says it this way. Luke, Luke records that, that, that the angel is saying to Mary, the angel says, you know, you will be with child and you will give birth to a son and you are, able, uh, you are going to give him the name of Jesus 
How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of what? God. Jesus is God. But he's also fully man. Jesus had a physical human mother. Jesus came out of the egg of his mother's womb. But the Holy Spirit made something mysteriously happen. It's not a sexual thing. The Holy Spirit supernaturally made something happen and therefore came into the womb of Mary, into her egg, and Jesus was conceived as a real person. Jesus was a real man, and I bet he was a hoot to hang around. He probably constantly left his dirty clothes laying around everywhere. Pick up. I mean, Mary's like, pick up your dirty underwear, Jesus. I mean, I mean, he's a man, right? I mean, he probably knew all the knock-knock jokes that existed back then. Jesus was probably the kind of guy that would love to go eat chicken wings at the Roman games and hang out with you. He was a person you could touch. So why is it important that Jesus wasn't just divine but also a real man? Why is this important? Well, it's important because as a real man, he understands you. He knows what you go through. He knows your pain. He feels your powerlessness in those situations. He knows what a grieving heart feels like. He knows what it's like to lose a friend. He's fully aware of when, what happens when you're betrayed. He understands and knows what it's like to stand up for something that you believe in, even though the crowd says no, and to call them on it. Jesus understands you. He understands the times when you're overwhelmed in life. He was overwhelmed in life. In fact, the scriptures tell us that he was so overwhelmed that night that as he was praying, that he was so overwhelmed with what was happening that capillaries began to burst in his scalp and he sweated blood. Jesus knows what that's like. He knows what it's like to be tired. He knows what it's like to be angry. He knows what it's like to be depressed. If you're in depression, Jesus understands. He suffered too. He was a real man. And he can, he can understand every single circumstance or emotion that you have. You ever fallen into temptation? Jesus knows what temptations look like. We're talking big temptations. He knows. Yet where you have fallen, he stands firm. Where, where you and I have failed, he has been successful. Jesus is qualified to redeem us. Because though he's man, he is perfect in every way. You see, a man brought sin into the world, and God said because man brought sin into the world and, and corrupted the world, then, then God needed to come into the world as a man. And God said, because you cannot redeem yourself, I'm coming in the flesh to show you redemption. I will give myself on this cross. And because I live, you shall live as well. God said, you can't clean up your mess, but I'll clean it up for you. The writer of Hebrews continues, for this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. 
Jesus is fully human and he's fully God. You say, I just can't get my head around this. This is just wigging me out. I don't understand this. Folks, that's why we call it faith. It's faith. It fills in the gaps. Jesus changes everything for us and he changes our human trajectory to something that's new and leads us on that new path. If you've ever tried another religion or another way or another thing to get your life right, you need to let it go. You need to follow Jesus and let God fulfill you in all these things. Because when people leave you high and dry and when they just kick you to the curb and you're lost and you don't know what to do, you have one thing and one person to hold on to and that is God as Jesus Christ, Father and Holy Spirit. Why? Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Amen?